and welcome to the Authentic Healthpreneur podcast. My name is Marendi Leverett, healthpreneur, business strategist and intuitive, and I will be your host. In this podcast series, I will be interviewing female healthpreneurs and sharing their amazing, inspiring and motivating stories about how they started their own health business. Listen to how some of these beautiful women have overcome barriers or adversity to create their own unique health business and thrive. These women are not making millions of dollars or dominating the world, but they are certainly making a difference to their clients' lives and living their true purpose of serving and helping others in need. Also in this podcast, I will be sharing hints and tips on how to be a successful healthpreneur whilst remaining authentic when starting and running a health business. This podcast aims to inspire, motivate and educate you on all you need to know about starting, growing and pivoting in a business as a health clinician. This podcast is available to subscribe and download via Anchor, Spotify, iTunes and Google Podcast. So remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I have a special guest here, Joe Muirhead. Um, like we say, synchronistic events <laughs> bring us around to <laughs> meeting and connecting with people. Um, I guess, you know, I'm a big person, on, well, not a big person, but I'm on LinkedIn quite prolifically and following lots of people. So I guess you could say I've probably been stalking Joe for some time because we have similar contacts and we are have been in similar circles over the past um 20 plus years we've been mm. working in our area of expertise um so i thought it'd be perfect for joe to come and talk um today because of her area that she has moved into mm. so i'm just going to let joe introduce herself <laughs> And Thanks. then we will get on to the topic we are going to talk about, which is quite pertinent for everyone in the health industry at the moment. Thank you. Well, that's, that's kind of fun. You know what shocked me was when you said 20 years. Like, oh, I know. No intellectually that I've been in this world for that long but I still remember being a new grad and going along to one of my first employment and there was an, an occupational therapist that I worked with and she'd been in the industry for 25 years and I remember going she's amazing and I also remember going I don't want to be doing this for that long no. <laughs> I've no. myself that far ahead yes, yeah. that was that was right so now now here we are those those people that people are like oh my god 20 years um so and that's that's interesting so I'm a rehabilitation counselor by qualification so I went to university with physios and speech pathologists and occupational therapists and I did a degree called rehabilitation counseling back when it was a degree it wasn't a master's program so I'm <laughs> I like to let people know I'm one of the least academically uh, gifted or accomplished people health professionals around because my degree was a whole three years um, and look at that people didn't need a master's <laughs> well that's what it was that time ago they were all just three-year degrees there was yeah. no such thing as four years if you wanted to do extra you went and did masters oh, so. yeah or, or an honors year and I'm really I am just so not an academic I tried to go back to the university um at, of Sydney I lasted six weeks and it was just not pleasant anywho uh I built a private practice after working in federal government state government private practice and helping people build other private practices I started my own private practice 12 years ago and as a rehabilitation counsellor there weren't too 
many of us that were doing things outside in, in our own businesses because similarly to a lot of exercise physiologists or sports scientists, we're kind of this unknown entity. Nobody knows what to do. Nobody describes us well. And I just worked out I was not a good fit for being an employee anymore. I, I had actually at that time burned out really badly and we'll, we'll talk into some, to some of that some more. So I started this, this business and it took off and we were serving a part of the uh, insurance industry in Australia that wasn't being served well. Uh, and I've, I've always had this gift of being able to see what's going to happen next, in, particularly in private practice and healthcare. Where do we need to go next? Not, not such a great uptake on health tech, but I, I've kind of got this ability to see what's going to happen next. I've also got this really good, um, amazing ability to read people. So I was good at plugging up, you know, problems or holes or meeting needs. So that was kind of cool. So then I started coaching other health professionals who wanted to build businesses that suited their lifestyle. That was something that I I learned I needed to do. Um, And even though I burnt out in my own private practice a couple of times, many times, uh, I, I now coach and I've been coaching people for 10 years I get to do that all over the world um I'm a true coach in that I I don't just boss people around I don't just go go do this thing that I did I actually work out with people what they need and want and I've done some coaching training and I'm really passionate about private practice um I personally think that it is the only way we will see the change in health that we need to see Mm -hmm. Uh, Medicare here in Australia is awesome, but it's only been around since the mid-80s, and I know you'll have people watching this who weren't alive then. It hasn't (laughs) been around forever. We used to have to pay for our healthcare in this country uh, in my lifetime, Uh, and we've just gotten so used to not having to put our hand in our pocket to improve our health in this country that that it's unsustainable. Medicare was brought into this country so that everybody had a baseline of emergency health. Yeah. And now we expect to never have to pay for mental health or chronic disease management or anything like that. And there's just no, it's just not fundable. Like we just can't, not enough of us living in Australia, earning enough tax to be able to fund it. Yeah. The other problem with government-funded services is it's like trying to move an iceberg. So (laughs) for any change to occur, we get frustrated as heck with insurance companies or regulators or legislators uh, going, we need to change, we need to change. But they just don't have the power to. Mm. The the infrastructure involved in making a simple change, a proactive change, is by the time that gets passed through the various tiers of where it needs to be approved, we're onto a new problem. Yeah. So um, uh, this is where I think private practice owners can can fill the gap. We can stand up and say, no, I won't do it the way the government tells me to do it because government isn't the health provider. And number two, we can actually meet clients and patients where they're at so we can actually affect real change. So I'm incredibly passionate at building health professionals who want to be private practice owners so that they can actually affect this change because I tried to do it in federal government tried to do it in state government, tried to do it in other businesses, and this is kind of where I feel I fit. I fit best. Oh, I totally 100% agree. (laughs) Yeah, you and I have kind of had similar paths because of our professions and we just got frustrated with it. And like you said, I think we've all burnt out at some point or like you said, 
I'm the same as you, burnt out a few times because you just get tired of being on that hamster wheel yeah. of um, whatever. But I think we are probably the best people to be coaching the new generation because we're like, we don't want what happened to us to happen to you. And again, it's just that perpetual cycle that we just can't get off. And it's, it's yeah, coming down to us as the individual clinicians to make the change because it's not going to happen anywhere else. So can I give you an example of this? So you and I have both worked in the occupational rehabilitation sector and hopefully there'll be some people watching this who do. Okay. So we keep banging on about early intervention and yep. psychosocial rehabilitation and the biopsychosocial model of rehabilitation. Okay. That has been around since the end of the first world war. Mm. It, so the thing that concerns me, and when I was writing, I wrote a book. Yes. And in this book, I identified that health professionals in Western countries leave the profession, not change jobs, leave the profession every three years. We yep. have, we, so people aren't, they're not even paying off their student debt no. and they're getting out. So we actually have nobody contributing to the body of knowledge. Mm. This is why pharmaceutical companies sponsor all the research and we end up with interesting pharmaceutical research because that's essentially all that's left yeah. because we have not learned how to look after ourselves in our work and we expect government to do it we expect industrial relations to do it we expect employers to do it I think the thing that COVID has shown us is that if we aren't doing it we cannot rely on anyone else no and we knew that there was a mental health crisis before COVID so if we are taking responsibility for our own health and wellness in the way we do our work, nobody's going to get any better and we're not actually going to add to the body of knowledge, which means when I'm 80, I'm going to be, so I've got 30-odd you know, years of that until I'm 80, mm. I'm going to still be treated with you know, 2020 techniques. Yeah. Like, come on. It's, it's bigger than I need a paycheck. It's bigger than I need a consistent income. We, we moved into health because we wanted to make a difference. Yeah. Nobody chooses to do a health science degree because they want to make a ton of money. No, I keep saying that to people <laughs> and, and students I mentor as well. It's Ooh. like, don't expect to be making, yeah, squillions. Yeah. You're in this industry because you're here to help people. But that's it, it doesn't mean that we can't attract it and we can't but you know that the health discipline alone is not going to be the thing that allows you to do, to do that so stop waiting for it to happen you've got to go create it yeah yeah and, and that's what you find with the the newer generation coming through is and I've noticed like you said there's a massive turnover they leave the industry or they're changing jobs regularly hmm. because they feel they're not getting the paycheck they deserve and it's not about that at all it's we're bound mm. by governments and you know mm. large businesses or pharmaceutical companies dictating how much they think yes. we're worth yeah mm. and, that, and so if we as private practitioners are prepared to feed that beast then nothing is going to change. That's right. But if we as private practitioners are happy to go, that's great, Mr. Medicare, if you want to pay me $30 to see your client, I am going to ask this client to put their hand in their pocket and give me another $150. Totally. Right? Or I'm just not doing Medicare work at all and that has to be done elsewhere. The thing about private practice, everybody wants freedom and choice until we've got the responsibility of freedom and choice. 
Yeah. And responsibility isn't just being financially responsible. I actually think we have a social responsibility here too. Mm. Can we just let everybody know that I can be opinionated? My opinions are my own. You are welcome to disagree with me. Just don't yell at me and don't throw a chair at me. No. Um, so I work with young men with brain injuries, so throwing chairs is, is kind it's of common. common. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but to be quite honest, I don't think you're going to get lash you know <laughs> lash back because like I say it is this is a common hmm. issue or pain point for so many people I talk hmm. to who are in the health industry so hmm. if hmm. they do lash back I think it's because they're in denial yeah. yeah yeah and and until we've got to have, you've got to have you know a bit of stuff under your belt you've got yeah. to, it's like I, I get a little nervous when when people have limited life experience finish university and want to go into private practice yeah. because it's like could, could you go spend some time dealing with clients of various ages and and just work out who you are in this new context before you try and add the layers of your business and how you're going to run a business on top of that because yeah. the work is hard mm. allied health professional work is hard yeah all right let's we we pretend it's not but if you ever explain to somebody else what you do, like explaining to a GP what we do in a day, GPs will go, my God, I don't want your job. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So don't make it even harder on yourself by thinking you can learn how to deal with people and process and that all that stuff that's going to come, plus learn how to build a business, which none of us have got the skills for because they don't teach us that at uni. No, exactly. Totally. Mm. So mm. with saying that, hoping we haven't freaked anyone out. <laughs> this is, there is hope. <laughs> there is hope. That's it. We want to say there is a glimmer. So I guess then let's get to the guts of this session and why I have you on here talking. So I guess we want, well, you have told me the title that, you know, mm. you want to give this presentation is how to be fit for purpose and tame the beast of uncertainty, which I think is so brilliant because yeah. people are going to, what is this about? Yeah. So I guess my first question is, why is it important to understand uncertainty, which we've just kind mm. of touched mm. the surface of there, and how do we deal with it in mm. the allied health mm. industry? Yeah, absolutely. So thank you. I, I'm glad you liked my title. I guess <laughs> what, what I actually want to speak into is, is burnout and self-care. Yeah. But I don't want people being switched off because we hear these words so often it, it it's like gratitude and it's like affirmation you hear these words now and you just go and and I'm really concerned that health professionals are hearing burnout and self-care and they're just switching off and I, so I'm always looking for a way because we're smart people to hack our smarts and go I need you to take notice of this yeah. so fit, fit for purpose is actually an engineering term and that's not because I want to turn us into engineers or turn us into you know, the Lego bricks. But what we need to understand is that a tool is fit for a purpose. Mm -hmm. So you don't ask a shovel to do the work of a hammer. Yes. But you need to have your shovel clear of cement or dirt or grot for it to function properly. Yeah. And you need to have a head on your hammer and you need to have a handle on your hammer for your hammer to work. If those things are broken and pulled apart, then the hammer doesn't actually do its job. Have you ever tried to hammer a nail without a handle on the hammer? <laughs> That's right. It's like you don't use a vacuum cleaner to do the dishes. No. So, and you're going, Joe, what does this mean? Well, <laughs> the tools of our trade are our brains, our mind, 
right? We are always thinking. We are always problem solving. We are always being creative. We are doing that every day. The amount of things. How many times have I had somebody go, I just wish I had time to think. Mm. Like nobody pays me for my thinking time. No. No, I have to do an assessment. I have to write a report. I have to start an intervention. I need to think about this. Right. So the tools of our trade are our brains. They're also our bodies, our hands, our ears, our eyes. And some of us have different abilities around that. You know, I'm, I'm coming out of, you know, 12 months of cancer treatment. My body does, does things differently to the way it used to. Totally. I, I work with clients who use wheelchairs. Their bodies do things differently than what they used to. But these are the tools of our trade. If we don't care for it if we are not looking after our brain and when I talk about brain I'm talking about how we think so our executive functioning how we think but then also how we feel yes and I do not think that anybody could have gotten through the last 18 months two years since well wow well over two years so since November 2019 no yeah 2019 we've been dealing with crisis after crisis after crisis yes we have yeah so in, in that, if you can cast your mind back, we had bushfires all over the East Coast, right? We had people's communities devastated. Yeah. It's close to, I live in the Blue Mountains, west of Sydney. There, there were communities where, pe- where the whole communities, not in the mountains but not far from here, were being evacuated mm. and set, and because we just did not have enough resources to get in there. So basically we have to let this town burn. Yeah. Right. So in February of 2020, we had floods. Yes. <laughs> Which swept away all, well, put the bushfires out, but it swept away all this topsoil. And we had people trying to live in tent communities, trying to rebuild, trying to cope with floods. Now, before all the floods happened, the first case of COVID turned up. Yep. And then by March, so this is like November, January, February, by March, we were as a nation going, what the, are we, what is this? Co- What's a Wuhan? We had, we had no idea that it was a place. We're like, what is that? How do I not get that? Mm. Like, and so then we had hospitals and community health services, and then we were all being told we needed to protect ourselves. That could we go out? Could we not go out? Then the government started handing out money left, right, and center, and business started closing. And then those of us in our own businesses had to work out how the hell do I make these tax breaks work how do I keep my staff engaged what do I do with all the people who can't get services what do I do with the suicide of people on the phone mm. and then so in the in those months that are going so this is all happening like bang 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 bang, 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 bang. Yeah, we didn't have time to process yet recover we had to, from it it was just one after another wasn't it and if you look at the, I've got a slide, it's on my social media, especially on Instagram, that shows you how fast everything went. Because then we had an NDIS, they launched a plan in the middle of all of this. And, and then NDIS participants stopped paying for things because they didn't understand how their funding was going to work. And then Medicare extended telehealth or did it extend telehealth? Maybe it will, maybe it, like how, what would, and then we're trying to understand how do we look after our kids who are at school are not at school are at school not at school my husband if he or my partner are they going to work are they not going to work what are they bringing home when do I get tested when do I not get tested have I got the flu have I got the COVID am I dying (laughs) and I know it sounds funny now but when we're in the middle of it it was terrifying so we're trying we're living this and we are expected to turn up to work and all of a sudden go like this and go yeah it's a really scary time yeah 
can we work on getting you to get up off the floor today? Because chances are if you fall over out of your chair and can't get yourself up, no one's coming to help you. No, that's right. Right. So, and then we've got it. people are talking to us about all their fears or their concerns. They're trying to, you know, their, their hearing's poor or their speech is poor and we're trying to do it through masks. Yeah. That was very relevant for me because I was in the middle of cancer treatment during that. And you, I have no idea how much I rely on people's lip reading. I'm, I know. I'm, when I can't see you speak, it's like I can't hear. Yeah, I've had so many people comment on that. And, you know, as you said, you've had cancer treatment, but it was people with, you know, English as their second language. Oh, my God. People were saying, I can't understand them. It just caused a whole extra or added a whole other element to trying to connect with people. And that's exhausting. So coming back to this this concept around being fit for purpose, our brain and our emotions have been required to do so much more load. The load on them has been astronomical because it's not just what's going on at work, it's what's going on at home, it's what's going on around us. Here in Sydney, you couldn't catch a train. Like we had rules about catching trains. Really? Yeah, you couldn't sit next to somebody. And your trains are always the ones that are super packed. Uh huh. <laughs> so, and then we had to sit down on the station a meter and a half apart. The stations weren't big enough. No, but then people they're... stopped. People stopped going. So, Sydney Town, that the centre of Sydney, our biggest, busiest capital city, was a ghost town. Yeah. So, why? So, the reason why I'm saying is, is uncertainty is is kind of our given now. Yeah. We actually can't rely on government because governments had to try and work this out. Our health ministers have tried to work this out. Oh, gosh forbid, here in Australia, the states can't even agree. We're still not allowed into Western Australia. Yeah. I might be allowed into Queensland this week. So, you know, this uncertainty thing, as health professionals, we love to feel safe and certain. Yeah. We are risk managers. Mm. We manage risk all the freaking time. We do not ask a client to do something unless we've assessed the risk, even if it's just a quick thing we do in our head. It's not always a checklist, but we are going, right, I need to get Mr. Smith walking again. Mr. Smith is currently bedridden. What is the first thing I need to do to make sure this is safe? Yeah. We can't help it. We are always assessing risk. So for us, feeling unsafe and uncertain is like a double whammy. Yes. It's like you're in that fight-flight response. And it's about reaction rather than, you know, being proactive or like we have said before, you and I have worked in early Mm. intervention. It's We've just been in this reactive mode for too long. And that's, I guess, why, yeah, people are feeling burnt out or fog brain or whatever they want to refer to it as because they're just constantly on the edge of, they've never had time to just sit and be. So we've got that that acute thing, but how many of us have worked for organisations where sitting and being is frowned upon? Yes. So anyone who's ever worked in a billable hour environment, you get affirmed the more hours you bill. Mm. So I I worked out how to bill 15-hour days, right? Um, And that was I got praised, I got promoted, I got taken out for really nice lunches. But it was unethical. It was unsafe. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, uh, but 
So we have these performance demands that are on us as well, Mm. not to mention that every health service in this country is always underfunded and under-resourced, and right now there are just not enough health professionals to do the work. So we... We, we are working and living and absorbing, because most of us are working more than 40 hours a week, we have got 40 hours a week or more of being told that we're not good enough. Mm. Because when our backlog, waiting lists, you're not good enough because you don't have enough people. You spent 55 minutes with that client, not 50 minutes, you're not good enough. Um, here, here's your funding request slashed in half because you're not good enough. Like people aren't saying it, but that's how we internalise it. Yeah. Right. Every time a, a client ceases services prematurely, we, we take that quite to heart. We kind of go, what did I do wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, in the occupational rehab environment, we've got insurance company, companies making decisions on health outcomes. Yeah. Well, and even in NDIS at the moment, I'm sure right. you've heard that they're cutting back participants' funding and therefore they're then having to figure out, well, what service is the one I need to give up because mm-hmm. I'm told I can't afford all of these services anymore and it breaks your heart and it breaks the client's heart because they have to become ruthless and go okay well I need to give up xyz now yeah and we're never going to get away from the fact that health is about money Mm, because that's just the the way that we it's it's you know services and and income but we have choice in the way we want to participate and the way we want to play so bringing all of this back to help me help you understand it's no wonder you're burning out and it's no wonder that people are burning out and and I'm not saying that so that it's a rite of passage or you have to burn out no Mm. no um because if we burn out for long enough we get really sick and I've worked with enough of those people to know that that's not a great place because that actually stops you from being able to ever recover to the point where you can earn an income and that's when we start talking about things like what would you like to do when you get up tomorrow morning yeah okay and I don't want that for accomplished smart people who have a heart to care So if we're not looking after our brain, uh, our cognition, if we're not looking after our emotions, if we're not looking after our physicality, the rest of it is useless. And it gets really boring. But this is the the truth of the matter is sleep better, eat nutritious food, drink more water, move your body. Mm. And it pisses me off that we have a wellness industry that is all these hacks, meditate this way, use this app, do this thing, drink this thing, the fountain of youth, when we can't even get the basics right. We as health professionals cannot get the basics right. And we as health professionals are actually the ones that everyone else in the community is looking for the way forward. We are supposed to know the answers. Yeah. Well, and like you said, it is the simple things. I think that's where things have got lost in translation. And, you know, we as health professionals are probably just as guilty as our clients because we get caught up in the, um, you know, because we've got all this online social media where, oh, yeah, try this diet or try this like you said, drink, hmm. blah, blah, blah. We're kind of, it's like flashing lights and, you know, oh, I want to go over to there, to that lovely light. What are they doing there? Rather than coming back and going, well, what are the, like you said, the, the absolute basics we need to be able to ensure that we, and I don't want to say surviving, that we're able to function because we do forget you need yes. to eat nutritiously. You need to be drinking so much water. You need to have good sleep habits. You know, they talk about sleep hygiene now. 
Yes, um, they, we, we do talk about sleep hygiene, I bet. But, but there's other stories that we hear, Marindy, where therapists or, or clinicians are going back to back to back to back because the need is there and the financial pressure is there. They're not even giving themselves permission to take a bathroom break. Yes. So I have genuinely had conversations with people where they've gone, I don't drink enough because then I don't have to go to the toilet. Oh, no. Now, these are people working in our hospitals here in Australia. And that is before COVID. Mm. And I know people in private practice in the US that are doing exactly the same thing. So the the fact that you feel like you can't take a toilet break is a sure sign that something is wrong. Yeah. And and the problem with burnout is it's about it's a relationship we have with our work that, yes, you can get burnt out from treatment, I can tell you that, um, and from caring responsibilities, but it's primarily a relationship with your work. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of us know about effective boundaries with our partner and with other non-toxic people in our world. Well, my philosophy now with burnout is it's a poor relationship with work. I work has always been my safe, happy place. Yeah. So when I felt stressed or awkward or uncomfortable, I would work. Yeah. Which meant I was working longer hours, which meant I would take on more responsibility, which meant people had greater expectations of me, which was just feeding the beast. Yes. So I I remember going through a period of time where I said, well, I don't sleep anyway. Why would I bother? (laughs) Yeah. I've had people say that too. I can't sleep. I'm just going to do some work. Yeah. So (laughs) instead, and and I used to, I used to get up at four o'clock in the morning, three, three times a week, do a boot camp, drive to work, be the first person in the office because that made me look good, have my breakfast. Um, and then I also it was the only time of day between 7 and 8.30 a.m. that I could get work done because as soon as people arrived, I, they needed my attention yeah. because I didn't learn how to set myself up for success. Yeah. I hadn't spent the time working out how do you get the best out of me? Yeah. Right? So we're incredibly appointment-driven. Yes, yes. Health professionals. So when you sit down and you've got a day without appointments, you wonder why you're not productive. Yes. Because all those structures are gone. And then you beat yourself up saying, I'm unmotivated. I'm procrastinating. I'm lazy. No, you're just not working to your strengths. Yes. Yet we need days where we don't have clients or we don't have appointments, but we need to create appointments so that we can actually get stuff done. You're just hacking your own system. Well, yeah, and I guess that's something I learned in private Mm. practice too is that, yeah, you easily will burn out if you see clients day in, day out because you don't have that time to mentally recover from Mm. and and also just talking to people nonstop. So I just bought in that, you know, um, either if you're going to do a full day of clients, then the next day you don't see anyone because you need time to catch up, do whatever (laughs) you need to do to, you know, you know, be of service to them as well. Um, And I do know, especially psychologists, a lot of them will only work three or four days a week. So then they've got a day of just admin catch up or they can, you know, have a, you know, time off because yeah, it is not sustainable to be seeing clients eight hours a day, nonstop. And Mm -hmm. I actually bought into my business when I had staff, because I was you know, very aware that I didn't want them to burn out that I would say, you know, um, if you can, you know, spend, you know, five or six hours of client contact, then I want that other two hours of your day for you to, you know, 
do admin. And then they mm. also had a lunch break in there too. So they weren't actually doing eight hour yeah. client contact days. It was less, but it meant that they had that healthy balance where they weren't feeling like they were just moving from one client to the next and they weren't having that time to, mm. Mm. you know, shift their mindset because, you know, you've got to move from one client to the other. You've got to, yeah. and if you're seeing different you've, clients, you've got to change your mindset ready for that. You do. And, and we have a responsibility to keep our notes up to date. Everybody likes to think I'll get to my notes. I'm sorry. You can be audited in a moment's notice. Yeah. Your notes can be called on in a moment's notice. Like you, you do yourself a favor, get into the habit. That is a self-care strategy, keeping your notes yeah. up to date. Keeping your reports up to date is a self-care strategy. One of the biggest things I had to learn, and it's okay, that I am ongoingly learning, learning ongoing (laughs) from the English language, is if I'm going to do a task, it has to fit in my schedule. Yeah. It actually, because I am awesome at overcommitting. And when I, the more stressed I get, the more I say yes to. Yeah. That is the neural pathway that my work addiction taught me, which might contributed to my burnout. It's easier for me to say yes and then work out later. That's why I'm entrepreneurial. It's easier for me to say yes and work out how later, but at what cost? Mm. Well, you know how we, we like to talk about you drop a, a pebble into the pond and it has these yeah. ripple effects. And usually that imagery is like, look at the influence you have all over the world. And it's a very calm and pretty picture. Well, the same is true when we're grumpy, when we snap at our kids, when we come home stressed, when we haven't slept for three days. Like you've got young children in your world. If you've had a really, really hard session with a client and you come home your kids know about it without you even having to say anything. Totally, right? totally. They yeah. read your energy so easily. Yeah. So even and if we've got our, our spouses pick up on it, and then we get cranky because they don't read our mind. Can't you tell I've had a bad day? It's like, no, I can't. I just don't <laughs> want to be anywhere near you because you're really prickly right now. <laughs> so it does the the it's, even though there's pebble in the ponds, like our emotions are brain, and then we expect sleep fixes that. Well. It does if it's good quality sleep. Yeah. So th- we've got this, it's almost like the, the industry that we're in is self-perpetuating burnout. And, again, it's another reason why we as health professionals need to stand up and go, this is not okay. Yeah. The, the way this environment globally, internationally, nationally, that's great, but I choose to do this differently. Yeah. So I guess that's probably coming up to the next, uh, I guess, point is, I guess, how are our friends in the allied health world supposed to recognise it and what do they do about it? Because I guess they're health clinicians, they're experts in their field, but they don't necessarily take their own medicine, do they? No, no. And and the other unfortunate thing is that we've got people who go, I'm burned out with clinical work which is usually, oh, my God, if I have to see another client, I'm going to vomit or I burst into tears. So I'm now going to go and manage staff and then you realise, shit, they're just like clients. (laughs) Yep, totally. And then then you go, I know, I'll do a hybrid job of some clinical work and some, they're all people and it's all triggering you the same way. So that's not the answer. No. Where I think we would be better off investing some of our professional development money is actually working out how to maximise our strengths. 
Yes. So, I, you know, there's lots of, and I'm not talking about psychometric testing. I'm not talking about you need that. Uh, there's Myers-Briggs, which is kind of psychometric, but yeah. there are some other really cool behavioural profiles. The one I really like is called Extended Disc, not Disc, Extended Disc. It's now got a new name, Finks, F-I-N-X. But it, it essentially helps people understand how they're likely to behave when they're stressed. Yeah. So that you can actually design a way of working so that you're working to your strengths because no, but I don't care how smart you think you are, you are not working to your best when you're stressed. Mm. All you are trying to do is get things off your plate and the dopamine rush that comes with mm. task completion. Yeah, that, that whole ticking or marking the line through the exactly and this is this concerns me because we put ourselves under so much pressure that we go yeah that report's done i am awesome you go back and read it four months later and go oh oh that's embarrassing that's not my best work <laughs> yeah and and then you start because then what that does is start to tell us that we're incompetent we're not incompetent we're burned out right if, you go, if you're going back to back to back to back to back to back client and you miss and you call Mrs. Smith, Mrs. Jones, we will automatically go, oh, shit, I'm crap at my job. Mm. Excuse my language, by the way. That's all right. I'm just <laughs> okay. But I don't it, think it, anyone watching this would not want to be listening to us. That's why they chose fair enough. us because of us and how we talk. <laughs> <laughs> but it, 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 we've got to apprehend that, that as well, that, that around, oh, that's telling me that I'm doing too much today. So I know by mid-afternoon uh, my brain starts to go foggy. It's foggier than, than I like it to be and I miss my words and I forget my words. I was telling you earlier, I started wishing everybody a happy 2023 today. Like I just, and that, that's telling me, Joe, you, your brain's telling me you've done enough. Now, I would have pushed through that in years gone by. There would have been more caffeine. I would have been drinking more double shots. I would have been going for a, like doing some hard exercise, like getting my heart rate up, chasing those endorphins so I could do more. And it's not sustainable. Yeah. So the first point is we've got to get to know how we work to our strengths, yeah. which means you've actually got to work out what your strengths are. Mm. So and, and there are different ways you can do that, but I really do think we would be well invested in ourselves and in our future if we work that out mm. because then we can start to make good decisions around if these are my strengths then I know I'm going to be a good fit for this client population and not a good fit for that client population I am not a good fit for anybody going through addiction recovery oh yeah I, I am too judgy mcjudgy mm. and if you put a judgy person in that cohort of clients, they will not succeed and I will walk away feeling like I failed. Yes. So it's easy for me to go because my strengths lie elsewhere. I can work with young men with brain injuries, no problem. I get them working in ways that when people have said they'll never work again. But don't, don't ask me to work with people coming through addiction. Yeah, and I guess that brings us back to your original point. And, you know, this is something I have discussed with students or new grads coming out don't think you can just go out and start your own business you don't know who your ideal client is because you haven't had the opportunity to work with a broad range of clients and that's why I always say to them go and work in the public health system or go and work in private practice for someone else or for a large rehab provider where you are given that opportunity to work with 
different types of clients. So then you can figure out, oh yeah, I don't like that type of client or, you know, mm. and then you will know, okay, this is what brings me joy. I love, I, I, I get passionate and I get excited when I work with X, Y, Z type of client, then you will know what it is. Because I guess back in the old days for us, mm. when we opened up private practice, we were everything to everyone because mm. that's how you had to be. Because if you wanted to survive, you needed to see anyone who was willing to come in your door. Whereas mm. now we know because I guess health has just expanded and expanded. We now know that you can niche. You can say, mm. nope, I'm only going to work with, you know, this particular population. And you know that you're going to be able to sustain it because there's enough of those types of people around. Oh, you you then invest in yourself to learn how to go and attract those people into your mm. business because yeah. it, it, being good enough isn't good enough. People need to know that you're good enough. Yeah, that's right. And, and we've got some limitations on on the way we can do that here in Australia. We've, we've got to work out how to do that. And everybody needs to, you, you can't just ask a, a VA to throw up posts on social media and thinking that's going to be your client acquisition strategy. It's not. Mm. It's got to start. Everybody thinks it starts with Google AdWords or Facebook ads. It doesn't. It starts with who you are, who you're fit to serve, how you're going to do this work, what's important to you. Because when I, I, I helped grow a, a large allied health professional practice, which was built on volume. Mm. So it was a high volume, which means clients come in, clients go out, clients come in, clients go out, clients come in, clients go out. We had a lot of staff retent, like retention issues. So mm. everything was just spinning all the time. But I managed it. I did that. I don't like it. No. So here, I, in, when I moved to a different provider and helped grow it, it was very specialised. We work with clients long term and we had staff who stayed. We had, and, and that was the, the philosophy that I liked. It's what lit me up. I wanted to be able to see my clients go from school to finishing university. Like that was important to me. I wanted to help people make, manage the transition from spinal cord injury, moving home to getting a job because that takes about three years. Mm. But that's my strengths. Yeah. I knew what I liked. I've worked with many physios who were like, please don't let me see a patient for more than eight sessions. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, cool. So we know that sports is good for you. We know that musculoskeletal injuries are good for you. Yeah. We also know that we need to help you build some video programs that you can on-sell to help people with that maintenance phase that you don't like. Yes. And they're like, oh, am I allowed to do that? Yes. Yes, you are. Mm. So knowing ourselves, knowing what our strengths are, knowing how we like to work, so that it, it's all creating this sense of working to our strengths to what's going to be successful because the work itself is hard enough. Yeah. And this is how we stay fit for purpose. <laughs> so I guess I'm wanting to talk about because, you know, mm. you've got a book that you've written, which is amazing. Mm. I'm only part way through. <laughs> It's okay. You've got little people in your world. I know. And we haven't really had any holidays. Um, so in your book, The Entrepreneurial Clinician, you talk about the clinical thinking versus the entrepreneurial thinking. And I guess mm -hmm. this is probably the, the good time to talk about it because I think that's where we as clinicians get stuck because I yeah. think personally, not all of us are entrepreneurial type no, people. we're not. You've got those people who are most suited to 
working in private practice for someone else or working in public health systems, that sort of thing. But then you've got those others who are like, you know what? I want more. Mm. Or I want something different. They all want something different. So can you just take our Mm. viewers through that model and I guess get them to help themselves to understand, I guess, one, if they are fitted Mm -hmm. to be a health business owner or, you know, what they need to be changing their way of thinking, isn't it? Yeah, oh, it, it is. And and what's difficult is that entrepreneurial thinking and clinical thinking are almost diametrically opposed to each other. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I, that it, it's, on, well, it's on page 54 of the book that I've got in my hands. I've, I've learned that some of the um, bookstores are printing these differently. So oh, there you go. But we'll with, make sure this slide yeah, is there's available. There's a slide available. Video, yeah. yeah. So in clinical thinking, we're taught, what am I treating? Like before, we, we want to know what is the presenting issue before we know want to know if, oh, is this a woman? Is this a man? What's the name? Right? We want to know things like what's the injury, what's using injury, what's the mechanism of injury. Then we start asking questions about whether they live, what do they do, right? With entrepreneurs, we think how can I add value? So they go broken leg, already thinking, well, that's going to resolve, so what can I do next? Or they're thinking broken leg, 19-year-old girl, holy crap, I've got to think about these range of issues as opposed to broken leg, 86-year-old grandma, I've got to think about these issues. So Mm. they're constantly thinking how can I add value, Yeah. right? So it it becomes natural. You, You can learn to do it. It's called value add. Okay. Yeah, and we as clinicians are never taught about value add. Oh, God, no. taught about just treat, treat, treat and send them out the door. Yes. Yeah, if you want to have any success in private practice, whether it's your own or someone else, you actually need to start with the value add Mm. because everybody expects you to be a competent clinician. That's a given. Yes. You won't get employed on your competence as a clinician. You'll get employed on your value add. Mm. Anywho, that's an aside. So clinical thinking we are taught... This is changing, but we were taught, do what I say, I know best. Yeah. All right. Hang on a minute. Don't misunderstand my your Google search with my physiotherapy degree, right? We still see memes like that going around. We forget that uh, <laughs> we are actually there to help people. So an entrepreneur or entrepreneurial thinking will go, how can I help? Because you can have two 23-year-old men turn up with the same fractured wrist from the same incident on the same day at the same time and both have totally different recovery outcomes. Totally. Right. So clinical thinking also tells us be clinical, be professional and be ethical. And these are words that we like to throw around to our peers as a weapon. You're being unethical. It's like, no, I'm actually telling people that I'm good at what I do. Mm. Not the same thing. Entrepreneurial thinking tells us to be real and authentic. And this is difficult for us because we're all taught how to put on that treatment face. Show no surprise. Show no judgment. Mm. If you're a mental health professional, my God, there'll be no counter-transference going on here. No, that's right. So we've got to really navigate that. That's hard for us. Clinical thinking tells us that we need to behave ourselves. These are the treatment protocols. This is, the, this is the algorithm that we have worked out based on the thousands and thousands of people that have gone before this. So this is how many treatment sessions you get. Do not go outside this box. Mm, 
That's what I was going to say. Don't go outside the box. You'll get into trouble. (laughs) Whereas entrepreneurs will always break the mold. They're always taking risks. No, Richard Branson, if you tell Richard Branson, no, he'll go watch me. Yeah. Right. Well, he so, uses, that's his fuel. If someone says, no, you can't do it, he's like, yeah. Yeah. So then we've got this problem where we're taught to follow the rules, but entrepreneurs, we get to practice creativity. Yeah. And we get to be creative with our clients every day. Like I have so many tools that I've created over the years, probably a tool for every client that I've seen because yeah. I treat everybody like they're individuals. That is so true. Okay. Clinical thinking tells us that money is evil. <laughs> You can't talk money at all. You're like, oh, I don't really want to ask you to pay me now. Yeah, but it's actually a tool. It's a resource. Yeah. Without it, we can't actually educate ourselves or turn up for work or fuel ourselves or rest or take the time off that we need. And without learning how to ask for it from patients, patients will leave treatment saying that they feel better rather than tell you that they can't keep paying you. Yes. So we so we are letting them walk out the door before they're ready because we haven't dealt with the fact that we don't know how to talk to them about money. So clinical thinking tells us that work is necessity. You go to work, you do the work, we have to do the work. There's always going to be a need. There's always going to be a demand. There's too many people who need treatment. Work is necessary. You have to go to work and you can't not do this. It's your calling. Um, Entrepreneurial thinking says work's an opportunity. And a lot of us Generation Xs, which is me, are incredibly resentful of the millennials coming through because the millennials get this. It's like, ooh, you are damn lucky to have me in your organisation. Yeah, totally. Whereas I'm going, you are damn lucky to have this job. Yeah. And we're not not meeting each other. We're kind of going like this and I'm going, you're an entitled so-and-so and and they're going, you're just mean and nasty and they'll walk. (laughs) Yes, totally. (laughs) Clinical thinking tells us we never know enough. Because somebody's already, there's not, not, there isn't a randomized controlled trial on that specific thing. Yeah. But entrepreneurial thinking tells us that we know how to learn. You can't be a health professional unless you've done an advanced degree. You know how to learn. Clinical thinking says that we learn then do because we don't want to cause harm. So I am going to learn how to put a plaster cast on somebody before I put a plaster cast on somebody. But entrepreneurial thinking actually says we've got to learn and do it at the same time. Yeah. All right. And clinical thinking tells us that failure is devastating, mm. whereas entrepreneurial thinking says that failure is just information. Now, as health professionals, that is not permission to go and be incompetent. No. Because we do not do harm and we do not do harm deliberately. You don't go and try a new net technique that could harm somebody just because you heard Joe say entrepreneurial thinking is. They're two different things. Yeah. But in the context of this conversation, if you're somebody who likes structure, who likes rules, who likes feedback from others, like in the moment feedback from others, if you're somebody who can take someone else's idea and make it better, then maybe working inside an organisation is better for you. Yes. Knowing that you've got the consistency of that paycheck, but you you get satisfaction and meaning from being able to contribute to different projects, right? You be, can become a subject matter expert or you can have some type of career progression. We've got so many opportunities for looking at financial reward as well. Organisations, mm-hmm. how many webinars have I sat on in the last six months telling me how I can remunerate my staff differently? Like basically ask us anything and we will pretty much say, how do we make that work? Because we need yeah. to keep you. But if you are somebody who is like, I want to do this work my way, 
and I can take risks and I can suck it up and I know how to learn and I will work through this and I will ask for help. I will seek help. I will invest in myself. I mean, God, Marinda, how much money have you and I spent on coaches and mentors over the years? A lot. A lot, yeah. A lot. So it, we need people who will work in government agencies and community agencies and work inside other private practices. Private practice is not the utopia, no. but it is a good fit for some of us. Yeah. I, I could not go back and work in a health organisation now. I, I am too intolerant of what I call stupid. Yes. And if I've lost respect for management and, and, and my leadership, I'm not nice to be around. No. I don't want to do that to an organisation. So, so if you know that I have, I have worked with certain, mainly psychologists actually where I've helped them shut their businesses down. Okay. Because we've gone after, you know, three or six months of working together, this is not a good fit for you. Look at, the, look at how stressed you are. Mm. And they go, I just want to go to work, do a job, see clients, do it well, get paid for it and know that I've done a good job at the end of the day. Yeah. It's like, right. Totally different conversation. Yes. And one of these clinics had 20 psychologists working with her. Now, we, we chose to sell that one. Yeah, I would, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't want everyone out of a job. <laughs> but I'm just, it's, if we can have these conversations earlier, if mm. we can have these conversations and, and normalise that it's okay to have these conversations. You're a good fit for private practice. You're not a good fit for it now. The thing that used to upset me, particularly in the occupational rehabilitation space, is people would leave, pay, women in particular, mm. would leave paid employment, uh, salaried employment, go have a baby. Mm. Right? And then they would go, I want to come back as a consultant so I can manage my childcare. Yeah. Now, that's great if I had a business that could accommodate that, but I didn't. Mm. And at the time, 12 years ago, it was hard mm. because the mum felt like she was never doing anything properly because she wasn't doing her work when she needed to do it. The kids weren't around. We didn't talk about childcare. We didn't have access to childcare sorted. That person really needed to go and find a part-time job. Yeah. That, that structure would have been so much better for them. Yeah. So it's not, and, and it might be it's not the right fit now, but in time it becomes a good fit. And the other thing, Mirandy, is it doesn't have to be about clinical skills, the touchy-feely of the client in front of us now. Mm. Like we, we have opportunities to create information products, training and education. You can write books. This will not make you a millionaire. I, I can attest to that. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. still paying off the debt that this put me in. <laughs> that's, that's, something, that's something a lot of people won't talk about. No, um, that's right. But I'm a bestseller, but I've got a massive debt from publishing it. <laughs> because you don't get picked up by publishers. In most publishers, particularly for nonfiction books here in Australia, you, you actually have to put money on the line for them to pick up your book yeah it's not the other way around yeah it's not all roses and greener grass over the other mm -hmm. side you've really got to think about it but like you said I think that's changing people's mentality that being an entrepreneur or starting your own business doesn't necessarily have to be the you know bricks and mortar you know yeah. especially what COVID has taught us a lot yes. of us have had to pivot yeah. you know people yeah. lost 
clinics overnight or lost business overnight and they had to recreate themselves or do a sidestep, whatever. And I guess, you know, that's where you talk about failure doesn't have to be devastating. It can be Mm. information. Okay, so that's not going to work because COVID has, Mm. you know, dampened that. How can I better utilise my skills, my knowledge? And like you said, it could be online programs, platforms, Mm-hmm. education yeah. writing you writing know. people people who because all of us as a health professional we are dealing with human behavior every day you do not need to be a psychologist no Mirindi, you know more about human behavior than an engineer yeah like and and you can probably tell when somebody's in pain without them ever saying a word oh totally aha uh-huh. not everyone can do that so in regards to copywriting writing to sell learning how to to to, that is such a great career move for so many health professionals because we get human behavior and all copywriting all persuasive writing is is about using human behavior principles in a written form Mm. so i've got two rehabilitation clients at the moment that i'm getting them to do that yeah that's that's what they've got i can do this absolutely yeah, so well, off to copywriting school, and that's not long, but they love it because they're using their knowledge and their skills, but in a completely different way that makes them feel good again. Yeah, and that's, I guess, perfect. I was just having a conversation with a copywriter PR person this morning. She said, I don't understand the health industry. I don't know how to write for it. And I went, well, that that's just, you know, it's perfect because then maybe we need to be, you know, background in different things like you said maybe you go off and do a short course in how to write because it isn't hard once you get Mm. into the right frame of mind because I think yeah you've Mm. got to try and see where you can utilize your skills don't just think I'm just a clinician I'm just a clinician you can learn another skill and use Mm. your knowledge and experience like I know there's that lady on the corona cast yeah um She's, you know, their health expert and she's amazing. She writes well, she talks well because she does her research and I don't think she has a health background, but because she started as a journalist, I guess, in the health area, mm. she's just learnt health is her thing. Mm-hmm. But we can also have, well, like you have the um, athletes now going on and doing, you know, TV journalism and stuff mm. and doing, you know, the, um, you know, where they what do you call it where they're talking about the sport they're watching and you know they're good for it because they've got that background in sport so they can talk about sport till the cows come home they've just got to refine their skills on how to talk to an audience and not one-on-one with someone so I was just looking on Instagram on that I wanted to share it with your audience and I was trying to remember her name I there's a physiotherapist in my Instagram feed who used to do what we do yeah right she used to work in op rehab on Instagram, all she does is sell really, really cool keyboards, mouse, monitors, monitor setups, Allison, Allison something. Mm. Um, really fun, really quirky. And I and I got in touch with her and I said, what on earth made you go into this? And she goes, well, COVID stopped me from being able to see clients, physiotherapist. Mm. This was something I was doing a lot of ergonomic assessments. So I just thought, why not sell stuff? Yeah. Very cool. If if I can find her, because she's not coming up in my feed because she's got little people, she's probably, you know, still on holidays. But again, it's using your knowledge and your skills and, and just really refining it and being able to get it and, and get it, you know, 
nailed away. I, I had a, a rehab counselling graduate come and work with me for six months. She now is a launch writer. Mm. That's all she does. She makes more, more money than I could ever pay her. Mm. <laughs> so all of that to say yeah. we are not limited by our clinical, the clinical box that we would put ourselves in. Yeah. And we're going to, I think we as health professionals just need to take charge of who we are and what we have to contribute, not to demand extra money because, in fact, that, that's not going to serve us. No. But around going, I need to be able to do this sustainably. If I'm in my 20s, I want to be able to do this until retirement age of, say, 70. Yeah. What is it going to take for me to be able to keep doing this for the next 50 years? Yeah. Right? And that's an awkward question because you you don't know. I, I got a cancer diagnosis in the middle of this. Totally. Um, my husband got a cancer diagnosis in the middle of this. Mm. We tag-teamed our cancer diagnoses. So when you talk about taming the beast of uncertainty, the most certain thing I knew of during that whole entire horrible time was, I know how to build a business. Yeah. Because I've done it for others. I've done it with my clients and I've done it for myself. So this thing could burn to the ground and I actually know what to do again. Yeah. And that for me is taming the beast of uncertainty. Great. So then I'm thinking this leads into your whole fit for purpose. It's trying to find out, I guess, well, what is your purpose in life? Is it? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, and and it will change. So we we mystify this thing and then the whole positive psychology, self-help movement have taken it away. Your purpose isn't necessarily to become the number one physical therapist for geriatricians in, you know, Yamba. Your your purpose could be, I want to do good work and be satisfied and fulfilled by the work. And the the vehicle I get to do that right now is physiotherapy or exercise physiology. Or your purpose could be I want to take my family when they're before they're teenagers and we want to travel to remote communities in Australia. And you know what? I'm a nurse. So I'm actually going to go and get my community nursing calls. I'm going to upskill a little bit so that I can actually go into rural and remote and Indigenous communities and give them the health care they need. Because for goodness sake, we've got New Zealand nurses doing that job right here. Yes, yeah. We've actually got New Zealand nurses coming to Australia to work in our rural and remote communities. I know. It's insane that not more of us, like I would go and work rural and remote in a heartbeat, but I've got kids holding me here in Mm. the big smoke. But if that opportunity had been given to me when I'd first graduated, I would have done it. But back then there was no such thing as allied health in regional regional and rural remote areas no you literally just you're lucky to have a gp yeah well some of them don't they have to wait for the flying doctor but you know it's it's again looking at what your purpose could be it doesn't have to be this really intense thing it could be i just want to be doing good work yeah and you start from there i don't so for me i don't do good work in a hospital no I, I miss the buzz of hospitals, mm. right? But I don't do good work in a hospital. No. And good work is more important than that buzzy feeling. If I want that buzz feeling, I can just go visit an emergency room. Well, probably not at the moment, but I could. Um, so knowing yeah, good, <laughs> that reputational thing is really important to me. It's important mm. for, for me. I, I, I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I get that. I have pissed some customers off. I have made some people unhappy, but I don't pretend that I want everyone to like me. Mm. 
but it took took me you know a good 15 years to grow into that yeah totally because you just think oh, i'm a health clinician everyone's gonna love me want to work mm. with me no it doesn't work like that <laughs> no but but we also get to be picky as well we don't have to I had, I had a client, a, a consultant working alongside of me and she was really struggling with this client and he, he was just not a nice man. Mm. And she's going, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm going, he's not a nice man. And she goes, well, blah, 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 all the excuses that we make, all the reasons why, it's cool, you don't have to work with him anymore. And it was just like, what? No, that's fine. Let's, let's refer him elsewhere. Now I had another person on my team that was a much better fit. Mm. so we're allowed to say that it is okay yes and we need to get better at saying mr smith i am not the best person to help you with this that you need somebody who can blah 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 blah. do you know this person now mr smith will get cranky and feel rejected just learn to deal with that mr smith i have got a colleague his name is peter i would really like you to start working with peter how do i make that happen for you yeah those are the sorts of skills that social and emotional intelligence skills are missing because we're just so clinically focused all the time but it's all the bits outside of our clinical work that are generally the bits that burn us out Mm. yeah Mm. excellent Cool. I feel like we've talked. I'm not very good at going from A to Z through the letters of the alphabet. Um, I'm very good at going around all over the place. So, (laughs) cool. So, I guess is there some is there other things that you would like to talk to people? I guess about because you know we don't really want to be talking about self care burnout. But I guess is there any other? Well, I I think can I want to talk into this self care piece because for too long it's been. It's been a nice thing to do when you've worked hard enough. I'm taking self-care. I'm going away for a three-day weekend, self-care, hashtag self-care. No. No. (laughs) Self-care means that the way you set up your work day, the way you do your work is caring for you. Mm. So, yes, you eat breakfast because please just eat breakfast and maybe you go for a run or you do meditation, but you try not to do both because basically you've done four hours of work before you get to work. (laughs) But then we want to go see a client, do their paperwork, have a drink, go to the bathroom, Mm. see a client, do their paperwork, have a drink, go to the bathroom. You know, so setting up your day or, or maybe you're the sort of person who likes to do all your clinical hours but before you know, before 2 o'clock and then you want to spend from 2 until 4 just going through your notes. That's the way you think. Yeah. That's the way you process. I'm not good at that. I forget. I need to go client notes. That's done. Yeah. I, I, I have to compartmentalise like that. Otherwise, everyone gets forgotten. Everyone's Mrs. Smith and that's not helpful. No, that's right. You've got to learn what works for you. Exactly. But this this concept of self-care is a reward. We, we're very good at doing it because we don't feel like we've worked hard enough because we're constantly working in environments that tell us we're not. Mm. But I am here to tell you that if you are drinking coffee to wake up and then drinking wine to go to sleep, there is something very wrong with the way you're managing your energy during the day. And you're overloading your adrenals, you are living on cortisone, and you were going to make yourself sick. We have enough research about that now to say that that is real, that is a thing. Yeah, totally. Here ends the sermon. <laughs> so, building self, 
practices into our day yes. that are self-caring rather than a goal of doing an activity that is self-care. Mm-hmm. It's like it needs to be intertwined into our work day. It's kind and, of like hmm. ha- creating a habit because it shouldn't yes. be forced. It should just come naturally. So I mm-hmm. guess I've got a friend now that she's just part of her lunch break is she listens to a meditation whether it's a talking meditation or music and just sits quietly for 10 minutes, no distractions. Mm-hmm. Um, as we said, different things work for different people. So you've yeah. just got to find what will fit into your. Yeah, and start with one thing. I yeah. don't, you, we've got to start with one thing and go, oh, look, so getting out of your seat and going for a walk and moving your body during the day. Right. And and doing it both for the meditative purposes, but also for the grounding, the sunshine, the vitamin D. It's like you might be going, I'm a manual therapist. I'm working with people in the gym all day. I don't need to move my body. Yes. No, but you probably need some vitamin D. Yeah. You possibly want to feel the sun on your skin. You might want to take your shoes off and walk on the grass. Now, 10 years ago, Marindy, I would have been going, oh, my God can we stop talking about this Mm. and until I watched it until I saw it happening until I was doing it myself and I can't tell you how I wish I would have paid attention to it then yeah so if there's anything you want to learn from the 20 year old vet the 20 year veteran it's listen to that stuff because you're not invincible yeah here in the the second sermon (laughs) but it's true because I guess you know like we say there is so much out there about self-care and what you need to do but you know sometimes you know people have different barriers whether it's time money whatever like you said Mm -hmm. keep it simple and start with one thing even if Mm -hmm. it is just maybe even a gratitude journal Mm -hmm. a banana instead of a coke at three o'clock in the afternoon yeah it's not about I think people get stuck in the headspace that it has to be full-blown meditation, yoga, or going off and pampering yourself with a massage or, you know, facial. Mm. No, no, no. It could be just as simple as taking a 10-minute break, no devices, sitting and having a cup of tea, Mm. or drinking some water Mm. to replenish yourself. Mm. Yeah. And, And I think until we get those really basic foundational and I say basic as meaning it's a foundational thing in our world it's like breathing mm-hmm. until we get those embedded and nailed we can't really be looking for the next you know wearable tech hack it, it's unhelpful and let's face it a lot of our wearable tech tells us when we haven't walked enough we haven't had enough to drink and we haven't slept enough what are <laughs> we doing right. with that data nothing we're going Woohoo, my watch tells me I only slept for three hours last night yeah, you're not so, using it right, are you? No. So I guess the other thing around self-care too is support because a lot of us mm. forget too that and I guess this is something, you know, as you know, working in OC Rehab, we always are talking to our clients about what's your support network? How mm. does that work? Mm. Do you have help at home? Have you got friends? Is your GP helping you out? But we forget as ourselves who and what is our own support network. And I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be people. It can be a resource, a book, you know. Um, I guess people, again, think support. They think people. Because I talk about this with my clients sometimes. I go, okay, what's in your support network? And they immediately start rattling off their immediate family. I'm like, yeah, that's great. 
but what about outside your inner circle? Mm. Yeah. Do you want to talk more yeah. about that? Yeah, so, well, I think as health professionals, we need people and we need to let go of, of the sense of shame of, of going, I, I need some. I need a peer that I can talk to who gets my, my world. Mm. I, that is invaluable. And whether that's face-to-face, -face, it, it can be paid, it can be unpaid, but I, I've spent a lot of money over the years. I've called it clinical supervision. For me, that was never a shameful thing. Mm. It's not that I was underperforming. It was, I, and I, I, I had a client tell me his, um, how he got injured at work and that story haunted me. Mm. And that's and I was really young and I couldn't sleep because of this story. Yeah. And I sought out a psychologist and I just learned over the years that I would go there and go, and then my boss said this, and then this person did this, and this then this happened, and then I was treated like this, and then this happened. And and you just don't realize how much this stuff you internalize along mm. the way. Yeah. And so I think you know, you, you we need to have a, a strong piece of it doesn't have to be a thousand people, it only needs to be one, but mm. somebody you can sit down and go. What client stories have upset you this week? Yeah. Like what have you done? Yeah, but and and you, you've got to have enough self-respect to be able to go, I'm not going to stay in this place of being stuck. I just need to share this with someone. I think I don't think enough of that goes on in our industry. And I think we can network with other health professionals. So going to conferences, not for the content, but for the opportunity to be in the same headspace as another health professional. Mm. Right. So I go to conferences for morning tea lunch and the dinners yeah totally <laughs> I would forget a week later yeah. what the the topics were so yeah more so, hmm. <laughs> that's Not why that you see me at conferences many. without a delegation badge um <laughs> so there's but then this is for me oh another one I twice a week I I one of the reasons I bought the house I live in now is because I have a huge bath right so twice a week I have a bath and it's, it's a whole luxurious experience for me. I don't have to have worked hard to have a bath. It's just the thing I do. Mm. So I fill it with lovely things. I sit there and I might scroll through my phone or listen to a book or play with my puppy that likes to run around it. <laughs> but, you know, for me, that's in my self-care or caring for myself toolbox. I'm exercising a lot more because I've missed it. Yeah. So I'd like to swim. I like the meditation of following that black line. And also if I don't focus on my breathing, I will drown. Yeah, totally. So it's, so it's got, you know, two, two uses there. So I, I don't exercise for personal best anymore. I don't exercise to become the strongest I've ever been because it's, it's got a lot more to do with the hormones, the feeling good in my body, the feeling strong, and just knowing that I'm going to feel better afterwards. So those, and I, I will often go for a swim at one o'clock in the afternoon because I actually don't like being cold. Or you don't like having to compete. With everyone else in the lane there early is in that. the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Last Friday, there were three of us in an Olympic pool. I loved it. I was nice. so excited. So I think there's those resources. There's, there's resources around journaling. There are some great apps that help you do that now. Um, some affirmation prompts and learning what an affirmation is. It's not just something you read once and go, oh, that's a nice statement. It's actually going... Yeah, I am strong. I am beautiful. I am, you know, glorious. And and stepping into that and being able to stand up straighter because you've said that, and and recognizing the resistance that comes up in that in us around that. I certainly think that we need to be. If you are seeing clients and that's your full time role, every three months you need a week off. Yeah. 
and, and people go, I can't take you because here in Australia, we have learned to save up our annual leave because it takes us so freaking long to get anywhere in the world. Yeah. So most people will save up their annual leave and take a really big break. You won't last the distance. You will not be fit for purpose. You'll no. last about four or five years. Mm. No, and then, and then you're that. done. Yeah. I think it's more with having children, you realize you can only probably have a week off every now and again because four weeks with kids. <laughs> yeah, that would drive you insane. Well, there's a reason I have one child and he's now 21. He was awesome. I didn't need to go back and have any more. No. <laughs> but I, I do think we need to be having more more frequent time frequent during breaks, the year. times. And, yeah. and one of the ways that we can do that in Australia is we look at when the public holidays fall mm. and, and stick in your annual leave days between that weekend and the public holiday. Yeah, because you're not going to be using all your annual leave up. Mm -hmm. uh, take your email notifications off your phone. Mm. Take them off. Take, I don't have notifications. Text messages because sometimes there's an emergency, right? Yeah. Text messages is the only push notification and I, I, this is always on silent. Yeah. All right, because I, I will not be beholden to a piece of machinery. That needs to wait until I'm ready. Yes. Okay. Totally. Um, you know, they, these are just, again, they don't, that. It's like, oh, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. But for some of us, that's so hard to do. Well, especially, I guess, like you say, the millennials, they live off their phones. Like they prefer to chat to you via the phone rather than actually just pick up the phone and call you or, you know, come and see you in person. Yeah. So speech pathologists, how are you going to fix that for us? Mm. You talk about entrepreneurial opportunity. Speeches need to be all over that. Yeah. Occupational therapists have a role there as well, but we are going to have massive, massive communication problems because we have generations of people who are growing up not knowing how to do it. Yeah. We have rising illiteracy standards in this country. I learned this this morning. It terrified me. It is, it is not an Indigenous population, immigrant population issue. There is enough research now that says our kids are falling way behind and they're illiterate. And we now have intergenerational illiteracy in this country yeah that is that is absurd it is that's because and, you've got technology doing most yeah. of the stuff for them like autocorrect spell check but but we all know like if you look at the oh illiterate it's not an education issue it's a health issue yeah. because people who are illiterate can't work and we know that the people who don't work don't live as long and they have more chronic diseases they end up in prison they end up on social welfare they need housing they can't get a job they end up in oh, it, it just astounded me mm. that, that that that's actually happening here in the country that I live in I'm, I'm incensed by it today but then what's the opportunity here we talk about entrepreneurial thinking if you've got occupational therapists and speech pathologists, and you, you don't have to be one, but how can you bring that into your business and create something that gives you some longevity here? Mm. You know, it's something simple as creating language programs for school holidays. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need to be the OT that does it. You can recruit someone who does it. That's right. It's, it doesn't always have to be you. Like me, I've called in on you today to come That's and right. help talk about self-care and burnout because I could talk about it but I don't think everyone wants to just listen to me and I think it's well I'm the same with with my clients I bring in, in other experts as well I can talk about how we hack our brains but until somebody comes along and says I have this qualification in neuroscience health professionals don't want to listen mm. it's like guys I've been living this for 15 years 
I work with people with brain injuries. I kind of know what I'm talking about. But, you know, I get Dr. Amy <laughs> from Virginia turning up going, so I'm a brain-based psychologist, and they all go, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I, and, and also I think, you know, we hear the same information, but one day it clicks. Yeah. It's a nuance or a throwaway statement or somebody else says it in a different way. It's like, oh, when Joe said this, that's what Marindy's been banging on for years about. Ah, oh, get it now. Yeah. Sometimes Which you is, hear it slightly different from a different voice. Yeah. Different and that's why you and I can have these conversations and not be fearing competition, mm. not be worrying about who's got it because it's not even an issue. No. It's, it's just a non-issue. We just know that it's a non-issue. Yeah, that, that's something that most of us have to grow into, by the way. But it, it, you, it's, it's the sooner you can grow into that, the easier life becomes. Totally, totally. <laughs> it's that, um, uh, what's the word? Sorry. All right. We've been going for nearly 90 minutes and the I, fact I, that I, we're I, still I, awake I, is pretty awesome. <laughs> oh, anyway, I'll think of it later. We'll <laughs> cut that bit out. <laughs> yeah, I was cool. going to say, is there anything else you wanted to touch on? No, I feel like I've spoken into all the things that are important for this topic. Okay. Um, so I, I guess, and I feel like I've gone a bit ranty, so people get to see my personality in action. Oh, I think it's good. It shows your authenticity, isn't it? Yeah, it does. You're not just strict down the line, man. So I was going to say, well, then, do you want to just finish off with a conclusion? Um, yeah. I can say thank you for sharing. How can our viewers find mm -hmm. out more about you, your yeah. book? And cool. then did you want to mention the free chapter? Yeah, sure, I yeah, can do that. I can put that as a link on this module as well. Perfect. Um, so I guess I'd say all of that now, Marindi, and, and I just want people to understand that, that the work that we do is hard enough without adding to the burden of our own stuff getting in the way. Mm. So if we really want to apprehend burnout, if we want to make sure that we can genuinely look after ourselves in this work, we actually need to work to our strengths. And we've got to come up with ways and identify the ways that make working work for us mm. um, so that we can remain fit for purpose. So that means you don't need to see all the clients all the time. You don't need to serve the clients that don't light you up. But you also need to know when you're the most energised and what depletes you. And, yeah, there are, it doesn't mean that you're going to do all the fun stuff all the time. We still have a responsibility. Like client notes are still going to be a thing. They're um, <laughs> never not going to be able to do it. I know never, people like, I hate report writing. Sorry, yeah. that's well, just I, a thing. <laughs> I, got, I got rid of medical legal reports because I woke up after all my chemotherapy and went, I don't want to do that anymore. Mm. I don't have to, but I have to replace that income with something. But yeah. that's the opportunity for me now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, if, if it's okay, I would like to encourage you. You can get a free chapter. Well, it's more than a free chapter. It's actually the forward and the introduction and the first chapter, which is kind of, helpful Very this good. word says the entrepreneurial clinician it is actually a book on burnout because when it was written burnout wasn't sexy no <laughs> <laughs> whereas now I could probably go the antidote to health professional burnout and probably sell more copies um so you can get that from my website and I know that you've got a link for that um yes. and I'm more than happy to share that with people because it's important yeah. I, again, I, I, I want to make sure that I'm adding to the body of knowledge. I just don't want to keep saying the same stuff, which yeah. is why I want to progress the burnout conversation and go, well, what we really need to be talking about here is being fit for the purpose. Yes. What is the purpose of what I'm doing today? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So, yes. So what we'll have um, at the bottom of this video is we'll have the link to your free chapter, the link 
to your website where people can purchase the book if they wish to. Oh, great, thank you. you. Know, some of us, you know, yeah. is it available as an ebook like through yeah. Amazon? Yeah. So yeah. I guess, you know, coming to those people, you know, me, I'm old school. I love the physical book. Whereas, you know, there are people now who I'll just get the ebook yeah. and read it on my Kindle, that sort of thing. But I just wanted to say thank you so very much for coming and sharing your insights into you know, how we don't want to talk about it, but burnout and self-care, because as I said, I don't believe I'm the one expert in this area. Mm -hmm. We've all had our own journeys in terms of burnout. And I think it's just good for people to hear from multiple mm -hmm. different people and that it is a common thing. Don't feel like it is, um, there's something wrong with you. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. We're all going to burn out, whether it is in work, personal life, whatever, whatever, you know, maybe we've experienced some kind of tragedy or whatever. Mm it's going to happen. And I think we just need to acknowledge it, accept it and work through it and get yeah. the help and support that you need to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate your time today. And thank you for um, encouraging such a great conversation. I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much.